And Luke 19 follows on very nicely from that uh, song, actually. And it's found on page 1053 and reading 1 to 10. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. We've got four pictures here. They're all of the same thing. A coast guard scans the horizon as he seeks a lost boat. A pilot searches over the ocean looking for a lost plane. Rescuers are frantically digging, looking for a climber lost in an avalanche. And the police are methodically searching the woods for a lost child. These are all pictures of seeking the lost. And that is our theme for this evening, seeking the lost. We're going to do it by looking at the story of Zacchaeus, which has just been read to us from Luke 19 and verses 1 to 10, page 1053. Now the punchline, the final verse of that reading, really represents for us the text for tonight and the subject that we shall be looking at. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Every child knows the story of Zacchaeus that he was a short man and he wanted to see Jesus and so he had to climb up a tree to seek him. But actually that's the wrong way round because the real story is not that Zacchaeus was seeking Jesus but that Jesus was seeking Zacchaeus as we shall see from the story. What Jesus came to do was to seek and save the lost and Zacchaeus was one of them. So let's see what we can learn about Jesus and about the role that Jesus has for us today from this story. First of all, why Zacchaeus still matters? Why should we be looking at stories so old, especially stories so familiar that you might well have been saying, oh no, that story, I've heard that since I was this high. Well, particularly we want to look at how Zacchaeus was changed 
because it's a very dramatic story in opening up what Zacchaeus' experience was. So we'll see what Zacchaeus tells us about Jesus. In fact, that's one question we should ask about everything that we read in the Bible. What does it tell me about Jesus? And then, what does it tell us about our role today? We're interested not just in reading the Bible, but in applying it to ourselves. So let's go to the first topic, why Zacchaeus still matters. One thing on the surface of this story is that he shows us that money alone can't satisfy us. And that's a very applicable subject in our society today. In the world's terms, he was a successful businessman. Yes, it was the shady end of the finance business, but then there are shady ends of the finance business. And he'd done very well. He wasn't just a tax collector, he was a chief tax collector. Uh, Probably he was in charge of a tax office in Jericho, which was a kind of border town where people were coming in and out. And every time they came in, they had to pay. And every time they went, they went out, they had to pay. And so he was raking a little off for the Romans and raking a little off for himself. He had become a seriously rich man. But that didn't satisfy him. That wasn't enough for him. And it never does. Because the more we have, the more we will want. The richest people are not the happiest people. I've read a story not long ago about a professional footballer who played for the Portsmouth football team. He happened to be a coloured man. And he was talking about the fact that he was very wealthy. And he says, when I bought something, I soon got bored with it. Then I just wanted the next thing. But it never satisfied me. And the reason I was telling the story is because he'd become a Christian. As a Christian, he had now turned his back on that attitude. And he was running a charity for deprived children, helping them to get into sport and get out of some of their problems. It's a basic flaw in society today that imagines that the wealthy can satisfy everything by the money they have. It's a lie, and Zacchaeus saw that. So he wanted to see Jesus. He'd heard enough about Jesus to arouse his interest. How he had heard about Jesus before, we are not told. That's not important for us. But he was impressed with the fact that Jesus was not like the religious leaders of his own day. They despised Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus worked for the Roman army of occupation and that was something which they looked down on. He was a collaborator and he was exploiting ordinary people and exploiting them as well. The most religious people were the most sniffy about people called like Zacchaeus. But Jesus didn't despise Zacchaeus at all. Jesus had come for such people as he is. And Zacchaeus wanted to know what was different. And so he had to find out. And to find out he had to meet him. And to meet him he had to climb up the tree. Are you interested in Jesus? 
Do you want to know more about him? Have we thought about what his significance is for us and for our lives? Meeting Jesus is much more important than who's preaching today, much more important than the tax collector of Jericho. You see, Zacchaeus mattered to Jesus. I want you to look carefully at verse 5, because there's a little word here that is rather important for us. It says, when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. He stopped. He looked up. He called Zacchaeus by name. How did he know my name? And he said, not just that I want to come and see you, but I want to stay at your house. And in the original language, there's a very emphatic word used. In English, it's the word must. But it's a, an emphatic word in the original. It says there's something really compulsive about this. It's essential, Zacchaeus, that I come to your house today. Jesus is seeking him, and Jesus says, I really must come and meet with you. See, there's nothing chancy about God's work of salvation. He has an eternal plan, which he's working out through the centuries, using different individuals in different ways. If he's going to reach someone, if he's going to meet them, if he's going to save them, he must engage with them, because he loves them, because they matter to him. And although there will be many people who despise Zacchaeus because of his job, and were jealous because of his wealth, Jesus must engage with him. So let's move on to the second point, how Zacchaeus was changed. Because you'll see in verse 8, as Jesus has been uh, talking to him and uh, uh, speaking to him about uh, who he is and what he does, Zacchaeus stands up and says to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. If I have cheated anybody out of anything, I'll pay back four times the amount. <coughs> Zacchaeus responded to Jesus immediately. Now it will be fascinating to know what Jesus said to him when he got home. The children's chorus said, I'm going to your house to tea. But I didn't think it was really going to his house to tea. Jesus was going to talk with him, wasn't he? We don't, we're not told what he preached to him or what he said to him. We're not told any of those things. But we are told that salvation came to him that very day. It's a dramatic thing to see that God can change someone in one interview on one day. We sometimes are reluctant to invite people to come to hear one sermon. There are people who have been saved the first time they heard the gospel. It's something which happened to Zacchaeus and he was changed dramatically that very day. We don't know exactly how he was saved, but we do know that he was saved. God uses a variety of means to reach people and to save them. But what's important is that they all must have 
a personal response to Jesus. No one comes to the Father but by me, Jesus says. There's no other name given under heaven amongst men by which we must be saved. Now let me just stand aside for a moment because there's something going on in the whole of the Christian church at this time which is very dangerous. It's called pluralism. It means there are plurality of gospels. That all the religions are really the same. The government wants us to believe that so that there'll be cohesion in society. All the religions are the same. All the churches are the same. All the denominations are the same. And it comes to the fact that all the gospels are the same. My friends, that is not true. Jesus said, I am the way. And the only way is to come to God by him. If we're going to stand apart from that common attitude, we're going to do so not because we're awkward, but because we want to be true to the Bible. Because we're going to say, this is what Jesus taught, this is what Jesus did. The essential is to have a personal response to the Lord Jesus himself. So how dramatic was this change that happened to Zacchaeus that day. It was an inward change, but it had a very dramatic outward effect. The Bible calls it the fruit of repentance. The first thing I want you to notice from verse 8 is that he didn't say to Jesus, listen to what I'm going to do. It wasn't words. It was what I am doing now. I am doing this. Instead of his, his words, he said, Lord, here and now, you can see for yourself that I'm a different man. There was kindness instead of greed. Half of his wealth he's going to give to the poor. If he was that wealthy a man, giving away half is still a vast sum of money. He wasn't concerned to keep it all. He was concerned to show kindness to other people. And then this business of cheating. Did you notice that? If I've cheated anybody about anything, I'll pay back four times the amount. Now that was more than the Jewish customs required somebody when they turned to honesty. Four times the amount was more than he needed to. But he said, I used to be a cheat. I'm not going to be a cheat anymore. This change happened to him in such a dramatic way that it shows that repentance had changed his heart and his motives and his whole desires. He'd now seen that there's something much more important than his money and that is obeying Jesus and living like him. And that, verse 9 tells us, is the proof that he was saved. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. He was one of the kingdom of God now. He's one of the children of God by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now I've got to ask myself this question and ask you the question as well. If we claim to be a Christian, does it have an effect upon our money? Yes, it'll have an effect upon a lot of other things as well, but does it have an effect upon our money? Have I become scrupulously honest? Because God knows 
everything about every deal and knows where every penny is, have I become honest about it? Have I become prompt in my response to those who have a claim on me? Zacchaeus said, look, here and now I'm going to do this. Do we leave it until the last minute to pay? Or are we saying, if I owe it, I must do it? Have I become recklessly generous in giving money away? He gave more than he need to, and it was because he had a greater motive altogether. Is my attitude not so much what can I keep, but what can I give? How can I show that I'm a different person from those many people living around us for whom it's the very opposite the way in which the Christian now ought to live. That was true of Zacchaeus and we must question if it's true of us. This is the way to show the evidence that we are saved. James puts it very straightly, doesn't he, when he writes his letter in the New Testament. He says, faith without works is dead. We're not alive in Christ unless it's affecting our money. But let's move on now to see what Zacchaeus tells us about Jesus. Because we said at the beginning, it's the last part, it's verse 10, that really interests us. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. If you look at the next verse, verse 11, it says he was near Jerusalem. He was going to the feast, and he was going to the cross. The people misunderstood what kind of religious figure he was. We needn't look at it now, but if you turn over the page uh, of your Bible to verse 37, you'll see the uh, entry into Jerusalem as king, and the, when he came near the place where the road goes down to the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. But they understood him to be a religious leader who is going to rid them of the Roman overlords. But the real reason Jesus came is here in verse 10. He came to seek and to save the lost. That meant for him the cross and all that that entailed. I'm interested in the fact that Jesus calls Zacchaeus lost. I wonder whether Zacchaeus felt lost before this. Do you think he felt a lost soul? Well, he'd got success, he'd got wealth, he'd got status, he'd got his money. Did he feel lost? Do we around us see people who feel lost? Well, the sociologists tell me that one of the marks of the corruption of our society and the breakdown of our society is people lose their sense of identity you know you're just a number here and a number there in that sense there are people who don't seem to have a close relationship as they should have with some of their families and some of their friends but Jesus knows something more than that doesn't he he knows the lost are away from God that's the real problem of society today. 
that the only place of safety is living with God and in his will. And people who don't have that are lost. Lost are people who are unable to find their way. One of my early childhood memories is going to London Zoo with my mother and my aunt and being lost. And when you're very little, everybody looks so much bigger. And you're struggling around to to find somebody that you know because you can't find your own way. And it can be a pretty terrifying thing if you're little and probably if you're big. The lost are in danger, the Bible says, of facing the judgment day without an answer to give God. In fact, the Bible goes further than that. The Bible says we're not going to be lost. We are already lost. Just one other cross-reference tonight, John chapter 3. John chapter 3 is the story with the wonderful John 3.16 text in it. We don't always read the last verse of John 3. It is something John the Baptist said. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. But whoever rejects the Son will not see life. For God's wrath remains on them. Remains now already. The lost are lost if they don't have Jesus. And that's a Bible term to use. This is the time of year when the travel companies want us to start thinking about our holidays. Have you started thinking about next year's holiday? I haven't sorted anything out yet. But a lot of people start thinking about their holidays. I was in somebody's house the other day and saw the travel brochures on the floor. Are you a beach person? Do you like going to the sea? Do you like sitting on the sand? And when it gets too hot, if you're in a place that does get too hot, you can go into the water and have a swim. And you can have the fun of being on your own in the water and then discovering that you can't feel the bottom. And then discovering that there's a tide that's taking you away from the beach. And every year we hear stories about people who have gone so far that they can't get back. They've only got one option. They've got to start shouting and waving, hoping that some lifeguard is going to come and risk his life in order to save them. And believe me, are they grateful when they're saved? Because you're never going to be saved if you don't admit you're lost. As long as you think you're going to be all right, as long as you think you're strong enough to do it, you're not going to be saved. And being lost is a terrible condition to be in and it should drive us to do something about it. Our problem is there is no hope for the complacent and for the people who say, I can manage on my own. I've got the money. You see, what verse 10 is really telling us is it's the lost who matter to Jesus. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. That's the reason why he came. Not for the healthy, but for the sick. Not for the rich, but for the poor. Not for the winners, but for the losers. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem to die on a cross in order 
that the lost might be saved. He's on his way to take the punishment we've just been singing about and taking away the wrath of God and giving us instead the embrace of the love of God to take us into eternity safe with him. But the people who are saved start by recognizing they're lost and knowing that they matter to Jesus. You know, we do welcome visitors to this church. I hope that when we see strangers in the church, we do talk to them, we make them feel welcome. We want to befriend them, we want to love them, but we want to show them that they're lost without Jesus. Because that's what the Bible says they are. And the encouragement we have, the reason why we can say that to them, is because Jesus says here, we are the very people Jesus came for. The lost are the ones he came to seek and to save. If you are a lost person, you're the very person Jesus is looking for. Is he stirring up the interest of people? Is he touching their conscience? Is he moving their heart? Is he showing them his love? by pointing them to his cross. Zacchaeus shows us that whoever else might despise us, he came to seek and to save the lost, which is you and me. That's why he came. Now what we're looking at this for is to see that that's still Jesus' purpose today. He isn't here to do that now. He's gone to heaven. He's gone to do a work there, preparing a place for his people. He's coming back one day. But while we are now here, that task of saving the lost is given to us, his people. And it's very sad, isn't it, that so many of our churches today don't treat that as their priority. As you know, I've been traveling a lot in recent years for Weekly Bible translators talking to churches about mission and how sad it is to go to churches and talk to mission leaders who don't seem to have any concern about the people being lost. Yes, they may be concerned about people who are hungry and that's important. It is important that we should sometimes speak to the government about the matter of migrants and things of that kind. But the real priority that we have is to show people that Jesus is the only way, one who can save the lost. And that's our priority. Zacchaeus had his health, his position in society, his money, but he was lost until Jesus came, met him, and changed him. And that's the role we have to do for Jesus today. So let's look at this point and what Zacchaeus tells us about our role today Jesus' mission to seek and save the lost now belongs to his body here we're starting this new series from the Gospel of Luke questions on the Christian life what is our role in the Christian life today Who should we be concerned about? How should we hang out with? What can we do about our our lost friends? If this is our task, how are we going to do it? 
I want to apply this to you now and think about our lost friends. What can we do? And I've got four points here which I want to go through with you carefully. First of all, we must make an effort to meet them. That's what Jesus did with Zacchaeus. He made an effort to go and find him and to meet him. It's no use just going people up after people in the street and shouting at them. We've got to take up our friendships with people who are lost. We've got to find out what their interests are. What's going to be the best thing to do to reach them? Jesus knew that the best thing he could do to reach Zacchaeus was to say, can I come to your house? The eastern principle of hospitality meant that Zacchaeus was going to invite him there. We've got to find out how is the best way to reach this particular person. It's going to be different with different people. How are we going to meet them and show them that we care about them? We're not interested in a scalp. We're interested in a person. And how we meet them and the fact that we do go out of our way to meet them is the first step. The second, we must introduce them to Jesus. Now we can do that even before we talk to them. Because if we're showing them the kind of life that says, I'm a Christian, I'm living like Jesus, I want you to see Jesus in my life, that's the crucial thing, that they should see Jesus in who we are, first of all. There's this remarkable uh, scripture in the New Testament about wives married to husbands that aren't yet Christians and how it says the husband can be one without words by the life that we live we must introduce them to Jesus we must invite them to events where they're going to meet with Jesus we've heard already about this uh, explore course this is an ideal thing something we can invite people to go to to hear about Jesus. We can invite them to church on Sunday. And it doesn't have to be an evangelistic service. It doesn't have to be a service especially for visitors. I was given hospitality some years ago in the home of a man who was an elder in the church I was visiting. And he said to me, the first time I came to this church, he said, I was invited by a friend. He said, I heard the sermon and I don't remember one word of what the preacher said. But he said, I knew there was somebody there. There was something there that made me go back. And the more I went back, the more I learned about Jesus. We can invite people wherever we are worshipping, celebrating, singing, showing people who Jesus is real. And that's one way that we can help them to meet with Jesus. And we should make no apology about this. If people say, why do you want me to come? We can say, because I want you to meet Jesus. That's the way in which we can help the lost. Then this is a bit harder. We must challenge their priorities. We don't know what Jesus said to Zacchaeus, but he must have said something about his money, because that's how Zacchaeus said, I'm changed. How can we challenge people's priorities? Well, 
not by being rude to them not by criticising them but we can show them a difference can't we we can begin to speak about what it means to us and what it might mean to them some of you are old enough to remember an evangelist called Billy Graham and when Billy Graham had crusades in this country he had a soloist who went everywhere with him called Cliff Barrows when he was in one of these meetings Cliff Barrows was singing I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold there was a young man there at one of these meetings who was training to be an accountant and when he heard that song he said it can't be true it can't be true that Jesus can be more important than silver or gold but he started to talk with the people who, who uh, were with him and he was converted and he became a missionary and he served in Japan and he's still serving the Lord as a local preacher in the west of England. He's become a close friend of mine who is one of my church members. And it all started by somebody challenging, I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. We've got to speak to people about eternity and about their priorities. And then the last thing that we must do is we must pray for Jesus to seek them. Not, first of all, to pray for them to seek Jesus. But this story is about the Son of Man coming to, coming to seek and to save. That Jesus would seek them. Jesus is looking for the lost. And so we must pray for Jesus that this Holy Spirit, who changed Zacchaeus on one occasion in such a dramatic way, that Jesus would change our friends and change them so that they who are lost can be saved we're going to pray now and I want you to do one thing I want you to think about one single person that you can pray for now who is lost I know who I'm going to pray for I'm not going to tell you who it is but think about one person maybe somebody in your family Maybe somebody in your neighbourhood, somebody that you've come across. But think about one person who you know tonight is lost. And we're going to pray for them now. Let's bow together. Father in heaven, we praise you for your grace in sending Jesus to seek and to save the lost. We praise you for the love that took Jesus to the cross to bear our punishment. We particularly thank you, Lord, for all those here who have been found and saved because of your mercy and your power. Thank you, Lord, that we do have friends and family. And we thank you for the one person who now comes to our mind as we identify them and as we pray for them Lord show us how we can befriend them show us how we can meet them on their terms 
Show us, Lord, how we can gain their confidence so that they will want to engage with us. Help us, Lord, to know exactly how we can introduce them to Jesus. Lord, give us opportunities. Open doors for us. Show us whether it's right to invite them here. Lord, use this Explore series. Help us, Lord, to be tactful in challenging their priorities. Give us wisdom, Lord, to know how to show them the difference between wealth and eternity. Lord Jesus, by your Holy Spirit, create an interest in these people. Give them a concern for the things that matter most. Give them, Lord, an appetite to desire Jesus for themselves. Lord, keep us persistent as we pray for them. Help us in faith and love to go on praying and go on seeking. And Lord, as we seek and save, as you seek and save the lost through our testimony, Lord, do it so that Jesus is exalted and his name is honoured and there will be rejoicing in heaven for the lost that are found. We ask this for Jesus' sake. Amen.